This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for a little uh, extra, Mr. Chris Budd. Hello, sir. We are in a situation where we just put out uh, the main show, episode 208, and, well, mid-editing, uh, Aston Villa announced, uh, it's like, is it four days uh, it's taken them? Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Monday night, yeah. Yeah, announced the uh, appointment of a Mr. Emery, you name Emery, as the Villa coach. So we thought we'd do a little uh, add-on just to give you a bit of uh, context uh, into the appointment and actually what we thought of the appointment and in terms of uh, where Villa sit at the moment. So uh, if this is your first time, uh, this isn't actually the main podcast, it's just a little uh, little bit extra. In terms of the top tier of managers that were in the conversation, uh, Emery and probably uh, Poch were the two. Pochettino was very unlikely, uh, for my money anyway. And, and Emery, uh, y- you didn't expect it to happen so quickly? No, I suppose from the sort of the point of the rumours even developing to then being a bit more, uh, you know, the odds start getting slashed, it was probably, what, 24 hours? Yeah. It was very fast. And even when it sort of looked like, oh, this is likely to be done, then Villa just announced it. You thought, oh, this will probably get announced tomorrow. It was actually announced you know, it was about at eight o'clock in the evening. Yeah, it was a bit like uh, how they sacked Gerard. <laughs> You're getting sacked in the morning. No, he's not. He's uh, he's already gone. He's obviously had it, uh, the offer for a couple of days. Uh, old Mr. Mendes uh, didn't didn't get him for Wolves. Jorge Mendes, the uh, super agent. Yeah, I'm sure the Wolves, Wolves fans are really chuffed about that, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, brokered the deal, actually. Uh, he's had the, the offer for a few days now. Uh, I mean, obviously, key is the release clause of uh, 6 million uh, euros, which, uh, when you compare it to what a player costs, uh, not much of a, an ask, really. So uh, that was obviously signed, sealed, and delivered. So once that was triggered... Uh, it was always likely. Well, not likely. Uh, so you have to look at the situation. The situation, I mean, pretty much uh, with Villarreal, is he's taken them as far as you can go. And once you've hit that kind of... Because it's not easy, is it? You've got to get no. through Barcelona, Real Madrid, and then the, the gatekeepers, uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, you could consider. Yeah. 
So to get them in the Champions League semi-final, I, I mean, they didn't exactly put up the best of fights against Liverpool. But then again, you know, Liverpool's squad was worth six times the amount. And to, to beat Juve and Bayern over two legs is not to be sniffed at. No, and then he actually gave them the trophy. You know, he, he won Villarreal uh, a proper, legit European trophy, which was something he actually uh, said he was he wanted to do when he joined the club, win a title, and you know he managed to do what he did three times at Sevilla with them. So uh, his legacy is not undimmed there, even though you know he wasn't there for a long time. But in terms of uh, where does he go? You know, they they were what they're they're kind of outside the European places at the moment. Didn't finish uh, tremendously high last season. So in terms of he's, he's never going to win the title there, is he? No, it's, it's essentially a two horse race, and then occasionally Atletico will come to the party. And Villarreal would do very well to get further than the semi finals in the Champions League. And uh, you know, you've won one Europa League. For a manager who's won it four times, it's uh, it's not that much of an attraction to uh, stick around and try to do it again for a, with a club you've already done it with. So things, in short, were a bit stale. And uh, I think behind the scenes, uh, when he wasn't backed uh, in the in the window, because I think he specified they they really needed a top grade striker to uh, try to make any inroads into uh, the La Liga kind of league positions. And that's where it gets difficult, doesn't it? When you know when you have aspirations of trying to to puncture that, and the club are like, we don't want to over overextend ourselves. You can understand both sides of it, but he's kind of like, well, if if you're there and I'm here, yeah, something has to give. And if I can go elsewhere, and the, you know, the lure of the Premier League and the a the sporting challenge of it, and the sort of maybe the unfinished business, and then of course the fiscal side of it as well always comes into. Yeah, it. I mean, obviously he's going to be paid more, but uh, the the words that he's actually said that we're privy to, uh, he's spoken about the sporting. Challenge, which is interesting because mm-hmm. uh, you know people were talking about Pochettino, but he's once you've got into the elite level of managers, and we're talking managers that uh, in, in a Premier League context would be considered just the top six jobs, or would consider like Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or Barcelona. You can't really dip out of that because you risk ruining your, uh, let's say, your cachet within the game. So uh, Poch was hardly going to go to uh, Aston Villa because the risk is towards his, you know, his cachet and his uh, reputation is too much. He would have to get them qualifying for Europe straight, pretty much straight away. Which is a very difficult exercise. And you're devaluing your brand, so to speak. Yes. You know, Mourinho's not going to come and manage Villa, for example. Klopp won't, you know. Pep isn't. They only move sideways once you've got into that uh, group. And, you know, his, his record speaks for itself. You know, four Europa Leagues, taking uh, Villarreal to a Champions League semi final and then, you know, pretty much winning everything uh, in the French League with PSG. I think seven trophies in two seasons. So he is. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, he's more, he's won more than Pochettino and, and, and a lot of uh, managers in uh, it's tangible uh, achievement isn't in it? that top club. So he, by default, is a member of that and uh, quite rightly uh, would have a right to go for any of those jobs. Uh, those well, he's top... probably, probably someone who essentially is an elite level manager, but isn't perceived as so in this country, but probably on the continent. I'd imagine his stock is much higher. Yeah, it's just tarnished from the the Arsenal uh, experience, and we'll, we'll get onto that. So the sporting challenge is literally uh, like being on Football Manager, being fed up of just doing the you know picking the best teams and winning stuff. It's like, well, let's make it harder. Let's pick another team and see if we can break, shake up the status quo, break into that top 
six, top four, and uh, see what happens. And this is exactly what's playing out in real life here. He wants to win another Euro- another Europa League with a handicap. <laughs> I'll give you all a head start and then I'll catch you up in a, in a year. Don't you worry, though. I'll be there in a year. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, we'd settle for a Europa League win uh, because to qualify it, for it we, we must have finished at least in a, a position where we we're hoping for or oh, won the league cup or the or the fa cup so you know the challenge is and it seems to be this isn't like uh you know this has to happen within you know next season this season next season it, it seems to be in line in sync with how uh let's say perslow has been talking about this how villa have been looking at it generally and that's to be regularly in the top half and then you reset your aims of how do we break it into uh, you know that the cartel the top six and you know push on to better and greater things so uh, there's a chance here for legacy at the club I mean we all know the average uh, tenure in the Premier League is not very long because uh, the pitchforks come out very quickly but in terms of somebody who legitimately I think can take advantage in the short term of the the team that we have, the squad that we have, but also in the long term. And he's actually a winner. And just look at Spurs under their you know hero, uh, probably the best team they've had in a in a generation. And he could never get them over the line, could he? He finished third in a two horse race against Leicester, and yeah. then and then against Liverpool, they put up a meek showing in that uh, Champions League final. Of which, and to be frank, I mean fair play to get in there, but they were very very lucky. They kind of they've kind of rode their luck throughout that run to the final. Fair play to you know, for achieving it, but it wasn't like they blitzed their way through the competition. Yeah, but as you know, as any Aston Villa fan will tell you, uh, if you get into the final of the Champions League, win it. straight European Cup, you might as well win it. Doesn't matter who you're playing. And, you know, we were massive underdogs when we played Bayern. Mm-hmm. But you look at what uh, Emery's done, and it, and it's, he's punching punching upwards all the time. Yes. So that must suggest tactically. He must be astute and must be meticulous in his preparation. And it's and it's kind of a perfect fit, exactly what we need. And Phil Shaw wrote a piece about it uh, for the MyOrMenSaid.com website and referred to him as it feels like we've got an adult in charge now. Yeah, he's about 50, right? No, not in, not in age, but experience. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's older in age, but also he's he's been managing since like 2004. So he's been in the game as a you know as a manager for a long time at, at sort of different levels. Yeah, let's not forget that Smith never finished higher. Was it 8th or ninth before he took over at Villa in any league? I think it was 8th with Brentford, wasn't it, the yeah, one year? in any league. And then Villa's playoff position was the highest he's ever finished. So this isn't somebody who uh, had any real uh, right to be managing uh, the club if our ambitions was what what they were at. It was hoped that you know he would learn and uh, become good on route. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Phil in the sense that if you if in a, in any other you know sort of um, industry, if you want to achieve something and you have lofty ambitions, you go to a guy who is, gives you some kind of indication that Ollie's clearly been at that level that we want to be at before which kind of you know in very easy in hindsight you sort of look at Gerard and go well of course you'd go with Emery over Gerard yeah and you know in Gerard's uh defense he had that tangible thing of well you know he's won a league with Rangers you know and, and a lot of upside and he's uh you know experienced winning the the European Cup as a player as well so he He's operated on that level, if you know, if not exclusively as a manager, and, and he was young. You know, he, he's yeah. he's also like Smith, pretty much would have to learn on the job with Villa on the way. But uh, Emery's just a different kettle of fish in terms of 
big time achievements yeah. and there's not many managers you can list that, you know working in the game at the moment you're not going to get you know you're not going to count with two hands are you and very seldom, if you look historically in terms of who Villa have tended to recruit management-wise, who you kind of go, wow, he's got a pretty stacked CV there. Yeah. At a, a, a high level, you know, obviously, yeah, we had sort of more experienced managers like when Ron Atkinson was there, who'd done a lot in the game, but he hadn't got that elite level. Yeah, Ron Atkinson was known for being wily enough to win a cup, for example, yeah. but uh, over the long haul. Which, to be fair, Emery is as well. <laughs> yeah, but you could say that. But then, you, you know, we're not talking League Cups where you only have to win like six or so games. Uh, this is like, you know, to win the bloody uh, UEFA Europa League, it's a nightmare. A group stage and a slog it's, goes it's to the end of everywhere, haven't you? You've got to go and to you've got to, you know, while playing the league at the same time. So, mm. uh, and, and with teams, to be fair, you know, Sevilla, um, Villarreal especially, these are not like English teams that can have a European campaign with a second string side and still kind of get through to the business end. Yeah. rotating these were teams that had to kind of play their team yeah exactly and uh, but it's a better indication for what you can do in the league and mm-hmm. you know let's let's get on to the the elephant in the room the arsenal situation yeah i mean in his first season he you know he was over 20 games unbeaten yeah and i'll take that if we go 20 games unbeaten from uh, from you know from the first game against manchester united absolutely so that shows he's, shows he's no schmuck and you know that season i mean they finished fifth this is the first season of a manager coming in for the first time to a league that he's adapting to and learning to finishes fifth and uh, gets to the final of the europa league where you know it plays a, a much more superior chelsea team who were uh, yeah, at that point, they were very good. Very time. much expected to walk that game, and, and they did 4-1, as, as the score reflects. But it was a sticky wicket, wasn't it? You know, he was the guy after the main guy with, with you know, Wenger. Um, and from what I gather, from what you read as well, he wasn't backed particularly. You know, he had these changes he wanted to make at the club. And you look at that personnel, and I remember that era of Arsenal, you know, really great on the eye. You look at the attacking talent they had, brilliant, but they were so weak in their underbelly. And, and, you know, he got quite sort of heavily ridiculed, didn't he, by the both the Arsenal fans and the press for his, you know, the, the sort of the language barrier, which was, you know, he was obviously working at it. But he's, The irony is Cockneys can talk. Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't necessarily that he did a bad job at Arsenal. I just don't think he did a good enough job for their lofty expectations at the time, but they weren't a great side. And their fan base is, uh, we know, you know, how highly strung that is. So that's not well, very helpful. they're a bunch helpful. of entitled wankers, aren't they, for the most part? Ozil also was uh, giving him a bit of a problem. And he'd, I think it was him who bought Nicolas Pepe, wasn't it? That was like their record. It was about £70 million buy-in. That went tits up. So that was more also a patience thing with him. Yeah. And, you know, the best thing he you know he did, obviously, was move away straight away and win European honours. It's like, yeah. well, fuck you if you don't want me. And at that point, yeah, when, you, when someone like PSG comes along with their project that had developed, somebody clearly rates him, even if the, the loftier, lofty ambitions of Arsenal didn't. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, um, you know, as well as a run of 22 games unbeaten for Arsenal, you know, he's got the record at Villarreal for 18 matches unbeaten. Which is probably an even bigger achievement when you think about where Villarreal would have been to where he took them to. But when you consider what we were talking about uh, when Smith took the job in terms of these patchy runs and mm-hmm. uh, it's not as solid foundations of what we're talking about now. It's, you know, it's uh, day and night. Because uh, obviously Gerard went unbeaten when Rangers won the league, but that's a completely, uh, it's almost irrelevant uh, as we found out. But uh, Especially when you take into context how bad Celtic were that year. They were in transition and they'd been incredible for nine years and have flattened Rangers ever since. So we caught them on a good day, essentially. Or a good but year. in terms of uh, how, how does he uh, fit in with this current Villa setup? I mean, I, I, I look at the current Villa team and I still see opportunity even with the uh, with the injuries. I mean, in the formation we played, uh, what Danks discovered was the best way to play after uh, it's almost like managers were avoiding it. 4-2-3-1 and actually the first time the, the three players that replaced Grealish in the aggregate had started a game which uh, over a year that's crazy it's bonkers isn't it when you factor in Bailey's injuries Ings injuries Buendia being sat on the bench for big parts of seasons etc but they should have played all together if you're as a football club if if you're coming you're out dropping 80 million on if players. you're coming out and making a statement saying right we've we've really thought about this and we've done the maths on it and mm. we are you know the data is we are replacing you know Grealish in the aggregate you're expecting those three players to play especially when you've as you've said dropped 80 uh, 80 mil or so on them and never to see that happen i mean i think at the start of the smith's reign it was kind of down to injuries but even then to never get it and never to have a formation really never play a formation that seemed to accommodate it because there was certain favoritism to players and there's a good thing about Danks he just uh, he just rooted out the players that have been compromising Villa and sometimes your better individuals don't contribute to a better team and McGinn out and Coutinho out allowed us to have almost like the best balanced team I've seen uh, in the last couple of seasons. And you yeah, saw how effective yeah. it was. Absolutely. I mean, and we both said you know, it was probably the best performance um, since that 7-2 mauling of Liverpool. In terms of our forward play, it was just so cohesive, so balanced, so controlling. Emery plays a very similar way. Now, Villarreal played a 4-4-2, but he's, wherever he's gone, he's always played that quote-unquote double, double pivot. So it's two sixes, which Villarreal all of a sudden have actually got, once you get Kamara back, are actually pretty well stocked in that position yeah. if you're going to play two. 
Louise um, Dendonka being the other two top choices. Yeah, and then obviously you've got your backups with the Camber, Chambers, etc. And then in terms of how Villa played with width, you know, he has the wing backs wide. Now obviously Gerard would play very, very narrow. Wherever he's gone, he's, he's had his, his team have played with width and then played through the pitch, which well, when Villa got on to Brentford um, at the weekend, it was very much get Buendia and play through the lines and get the other fullbacks into attacking positions, but they're actually quite solid without the ball. And having that double pivot allows your front sort of three with a striker, your, your sort of four-pronged attack, if you want to call it that, to just get a little bit of protection and a bit of trust to go, actually, we don't need you to be tracking back all the time. Go and hurt the opposition. And you can press higher up the field, which he also did with Villarreal. I think uh, he may look at, because uh, he likes to play through the midfield, and he might look at doing something a bit, if he's, if he's going to be upgrading, it might be in those six positions. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, I mean, Louise will ba- basically have to, I mean, he's, he's still young, but he'll have to play like he did against Brentford pretty much regularly to convince Emery that he is uh, he is the man, so yeah. to speak. I think Buendia surely is going to uh, get the run over Coutinho. I mean, you'd think so. He might, he might be confident that you can get a tune out of him and it's a nice a nice problem to have in that sense I suppose to know you've got options there but where where would he sit in the pecking order you, you know Buendia's going to be number one you might play Ramsey too Ramsey and Coutinho and then probably McGinn McGinn's not going to play as a six and he's not an eight anymore if, if we're in the, that system yeah, you've almost got four number ten options because if they're fit at the moment you think well of course you're going to play Bailey on the left and Watkins on the right and then Ings down the middle yeah it's, it's almost like uh, Danks dropped the common sense truth bomb yeah now uh, you've mentioned it there but in terms of filler players who uh, might be panicking a bit for their positions with the uh, the change of the guard you can't look beyond McGinn can you no exactly because I've, having watched a few of the videos and the sort of the tactical analysis of how Villarreal play um, and you know his previous teams obviously PSG is a very difficult one to compare because you're talking about these yeah. ridiculous level players playing in a pretty pokey league but Villarreal you know, they're playing this very controlling ball retention kind of play which is kind of what Gerard wanted to play but it's very well drilled off the ball you know if you're not disciplined in your positional play your movement off the ball which we've, we've questioned McGinn about on a few occasions um, you know things like your first touch you know he has patterns of play you know a lot of teams will play triangles Emery plays in like sort of squares so you always you know you'll always have a, a ball carrier two options to pass to which I mean how many times have you sat in a game with Villa where you go for fuck's sake where's the options yeah. for the norm normally the six and then sometimes you'll either have a decoy runner or another another player protecting um it's not overly intricate but it's these subtle things that you know these players at Premier League level are bright enough to do this but it's can you execute we've it? always been confused by the lack of Lack of movement constantly, uh, you know, throughout recent seasons by Villa, where you, you know, and that was even it. under Smith, to be honest. Yeah, at times. One interesting thing, you know, even though he's only had a year and a half Premier League experience, that's more than uh, Smith and Gerrard had uh, when they started with the <laughs> yeah. club. They had zero, so that kind of shows you. I mean, you have to zoom out to show how uh, massive flaws to this plan, uh, this the approach from the Aston Villa owners, and personally to get where we wanted to go, top six. And just it's it's almost like Emery's like a slap round the face where you go, hang on a minute, we were trying to do it with managers that have had zero uh, Premier League experience. I mean, it's certainly in Smith's defence. I think he he got the initial job done, did he? Let's get you up, brilliant, and then try and level it up. And through that lockdown period, we gave him a lot of credit for actually he went away, rethought his approach, and kind of got it right for maybe sort of six months to a year. Then obviously the wheels fell off. To a little me, bit. it felt like he was just keeping his head above water. 
I mean, that's probably fair. And then you think, well, okay, that's fine. He's, that was going to happen. You were always going to have that transition where you're going to have to level up your sort of tactics, et cetera, and your approach. At that point, you think, right, now we make the big decision. Now we are going to level this up. You don't go to Gerard, surely. You don't go to a rookie. Well, the interesting thing, point. I mean, to go back to Emery is uh, despite the one and a half years and I think you know the things he kind of learned obviously was the physical side is more important and kind of winning the second ball yeah and all all the usual uh, things that are different compared to the, you know the Spanish league French league Italian league etc mm-hmm. but the good thing is because of his uh, level of engagement in uh, the European uh, competitions with Sevilla and uh, Villarreal is he has been regularly playing the top English Premier League teams in European football and so getting he, results against them. So he knows how to tactically set himself up against the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United. You know, he beat Manchester United uh, in, in that final, albeit on penalties. So that's, I mean, that's great news from a Villa point of view. He's totally unfazed playing these teams. And it's not about, oh, this is a free hit. It's like, right, we're going to go and beat them because... I'm used to beating them or giving them a good game. So yeah, or, or finding a way. You know, sometimes it might not be pretty, but if you get the result, you get the result. You know, we all want to. You know, you all want you know um, performances like the, the Brentford one. But the reality is, you're not going to go toe to toe with Man City playing like that and win. No. So in terms of breaking into that top six, let's say further down the line, we're not talking about this season uh, necessarily. Uh, you've got a man who can do that, and you've got the man mentally who can potentially take you on a cup run and, and win the damn thing. Well, he's he's tactically and mentally. Flexible, clearly very intelligent, um, you know, with the football brain that he can. You saw in that Man United um, Europa League final, he just shut the game down. It was a horrendous spectacle, but yeah. he got he got him over the line. And sometimes that's, that's kind of all you got to do in cup football, isn't it? By hook or by crook, you get the result. Yeah, if you haven't got the personnel to match the opposition, you've got to find a way. Which we didn't. Well, that was the the big thing with Gerard. He just he couldn't find a way over the course of a year. And Gerard, I'm sorry, um, and Smith, sorry, you know, he stopped being able to find an alternative way. One problem with this appointment, though, there is a problem. Ooh. Aston Villa and uh, overseas managers uh, ah, know, outside yes. <laughs> of England, Scotland, and Ireland. Uh, I'm talking uh, Vengloss. We were the first team in England to employ a uh, recognised European. Uh, coach stroke manager in uh, Joseph Fengloss. We, we were seen as pioneers at the time. Houllier, who was fighting a relegation battle until you know, literally uh, he had to go to hospital. And then the last two games, we miraculously, I still don't know how we beat uh, Arsenal. Cutting the top 10. Arsenal and Liverpool. And that seemed to catapult us up about seven places to the ninth uh, in the final table. That was table. crazy, wasn't it? So we didn't know if that, where that was going. That was... There was mixed messages there. Some people were saying, oh, Julio's going to have us playing great football. And you think, well, he didn't. When when he was manager of Liverpool, they were kind of pragmatic and functional. Then there was the Remy Gard revolution. <laughs> oh, dear. Let's not talk about that, shall we? Lots of people saying this was, you know, this the progressive uh, move in the right direction. I mean... He'll get all those French players singing off the same hymn sheet. He had a, I that mean, he had well. a sticky wicket to take over. To be horrendous, honest. wasn't it? Yeah, and it actually wasn't backed at all during that January window. They just cut their losses on him. Yeah, and then uh, we went to Italian with uh, Di Matteo, and uh, because of course to get out the championship, what you need is a manager who won the Champions League with a team that he inherited. I don't like talking about win percentages uh, because there's not real. You don't get the context of what the wicket is really. You know what kind of squad they've got, where they are operating in terms of the league but Di Matteo's was 
is it like 9% or something? Eight or 9% is dreadful. <laughs> and that actually, uh, you're in the bloody championship, for God's sake, with Aston Villa, who have just been dropping big money. Now, the context is you should be uh, winning regularly. Yeah, if you're a club of Villa sort of stature and aspirations, you want, you're probably going to need a manager in the mid 40s, I think. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying that it's kind of irrelevant. But it, 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 is it, is re- it, it, is, it is relevant for Di because he had the best wicket you could possibly have if you wanted to have a good win percentage. Bear but, in mind, he was probably the first championship manager ever to be spending the kinds, kinds of money he was on players. Yeah. You know, so anyway, anyway uh, we, let's not dwell on them. Uh, anyway, the, the problem is uh, that is our... Uh, background now is, is there any reason for that is there is it a coincidence uh hard to say with some of them isn't it timing i mean the the, the club was in a dreadful state with dimitri it was in a dreadful state with guard the the, the the venglas era was hard to gauge i mean i'm not old enough to sort of remember all the context around that appointment to be honest yeah Ven- venglas was uh i think it was deadly doug trying uh it was yeah, basically rolling the dice there's an extra desperation because we'd been top of the tree and yes. then we dropped and then we'd got back and we had this great momentum with Graham Taylor where, uh, you know, we were in European football, he'd got us second league. And then to lose him to England, you've, you've got a kind of, uh, it's almost like he pulled it out, pulled it out of uh, left of centre just to bamboozle Villa fans <laughs> because you're yeah. like, because, you know, that we were hurting le- losing Graham Taylor after he'd got us to second in the second in the league to Liverpool, back into Europe. And you were like, all right, okay then, we'll uh, see what happens. Julia, that was kind of a transition, but uh, probably the most curious one of, of the lot. If he actually, his health was uh, okay, what would have happened in that second season? Because there have been signs, hadn't there, where you thought this could work? But I think he had it. a name big enough that he would have continued to be backed I mean, they spent big money, didn't they, that winter on uh, on Darren Bent? Yeah. And we desperately needed a striker, so they clearly thought he could get the job done. Because it, we were downsizing as soon as he left uh, yeah, from from that time. moment onwards. So it's, it's hard to tell. I think, I mean, this is uh, a different ball game, though. There's, the reason why we've got Emery is we're not messing around anymore. And it's only in hindsight that you go, well, actually, Smith and Gerrard was way, way below the kind of appointments you need. If, if you really want to say... Yeah, we're going to go for the top six. I mean, you could argue the same with what uh, Newcastle are doing. Eddie Howe is kind of learning on the job in terms of his experience and in terms of what he's actually done. He's going to have he's going to have to take a team to somewhere where he's never been before. Yeah, and I th- that's probably why Emery sort of turned them down because, of course, at the point of where that the the, the huge investment came in from a, you know, a country. Um, He'd have looked at it and gone. I think he did. He say he was like there was no defined plan for what they were actually going to do at that point. Whereas, of course, they they knocked it into shape pretty quickly. I'm sure if he was offered that job now, he would have probably taken it in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, and also he, he wouldn't have gone as stale at Villarreal a year ago as well. So. But he wanted. I think there was personal circumstances when he wanted to stay close to his son. I believe. Yeah, but it's just sometimes it's just timing. His son's actually given him the green light on the Villa one. Yeah, and, and for me, it just it just feels like a good. A good fit for both parties. This one, maybe. Yeah. Other other clubs, other managers. You think mm, that's maybe not a good fit. In hindsight, you'd say Gerard and Villa weren't a good fit in terms of personality and the fan base. I'd like to think the fans are really behind this one, and it's a statement. You know, it's probably the biggest management um, appointment we've had probably since O'Neill. And I'd argue that actually he's far more decorated than O'Neill as a as a manager at that at this point. Yeah. Well, this is it, folks. If this doesn't work, we're in the shit. <laughs>
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.